last week, Alex and I had this night of like, just both of us couldn't sleep, right? But this was exacerbated, obviously, by the other person not sleeping. It was like, it was already bad. I already couldn't sleep. But then it was like anxiety because it was like, why isn't she sleeping? And for her, it was like, why wasn't I sleeping? And like, you can't just like keep moving around because what if you're keeping the other person from sleeping? Anyway. Yes, nothing has ever been more relatable to me. Go on. So this doesn't really happen that often. But in this like night of sleeplessness, I found myself perusing Amazon in the wee hours. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if they make pictures specifically to brew iced tea in. They do. They do. And I found one where if you like, you you steep the tea in it, and then you like put ice in it, and then you shake it for 30 seconds. And then apparently it's it's just cold. Like you can drink it then. Wait, what? Yes. And I was like, what is this? magic and so i bought it obviously it was only 25 dollars. and then it showed up i promptly made tea in it then i shook it vigorously for 30 seconds and it was cold i mean that makes total sense but truly when you were like pitchers just for iced tea i was like you mean like a heat proof pitcher but now i understand yes i don't really understand what devil's magic is happening like it's not just that it's it's cold it's two compartments no it's one compartment it's one pitcher oh it's just that after you put the ice in you seal it and then you shake it and obviously like the ice melts but like as we i think know from making iced tea in regular pitchers like you boil the water you then fill it like you steep it you fill more water in like cold water, you put ice on top, but then it still takes a while to cool down. Oh, I mean, it's probably just the proportions. Maybe. Because this should be completely replicable with a regular pitcher. Maybe. I don't I don't know. Like, it's like water pipe, you know, like. Huh. Anyway, it's a game changer for me. That's really going to occupy my mind the rest of the day. Anyway, welcome to Romcomathon. I'm Kat. And I'm Alex. And today we're talking about To All the Boys 2. P.S. I Still Love You. It is based approximately on the book of the same name. They've had to condense it a lot more than the first book, I felt like. I remember almost nothing from book two. So honestly, I could not say. Well, my main thing was, and I'll get to the plot summary, but basically, obviously, there's a secondary love interest. And in both the book and the first movie for a hot second, he's white. (laughs) And then when we saw the trailer, I was like, oh, it's this adorable, not white boy. I heard that the reason they changed his ethnicity is because um, there was criticism after the first film about all her love interests being white. Oh. Well, except for the gay one. Yes. I guess that is true. I was trying to think who all the other people are. Anyway, I was just amused by the white child that we saw briefly in the first movie somehow turned into Jordan Fisher. <laughs> yes. Um. So as everyone should recall, at the end of the first movie, Lana Condor and Noah Centineo have gotten together, finally, after like lots of fake dating shenanigans. But obviously they can't possibly live happily ever after because they're teenagers and protagonists in a three book series. 
So basically, remember Anna Cathcart was like a really obnoxious little sister and sent out five of her secret love letters, but we only actually meet the recipients of three of them. Um, So basically, one day, Lana Condor gets a letter in the mail, and it turns out to be a reply from Jordan Fisher, an adorable young nerd that she knew from Model UN, who used to be part of her, like, middle school friend group with Noah Centineo and his um, ex-girlfriend, the villain from the first movie. And basically, since Lana Condor is a very romantic teenage girl, she immediately wants to strike up a lovelorn correspondence with Jordan Fisher, even though she now has a boyfriend. But they would never meet. Well, I mean, I think he moved like one town over. So maybe they could meet now that they're no longer that age where like a move to the next town tears you apart forever. True. But I think that was part of the appeal, right? Is that the love letter writing would be like, oh, he's just sort of this like nebulous figure. Yeah, she kind of like imagines that she's living in a bodice ripper, basically, and she wants to have like an epistolary romance, except that of course she knows she shouldn't, but she's just struggling because back in the day, she was, you know, really into him for a minute. And also like, she's never really been in love or whatever. So the idea is very appealing to her. Yeah. Anyway, meanwhile, in her regular life, everyone has to sign up for like a volunteer thing at school. And she was imagining that she, like her sister Janelle Parrish, would volunteer at the senior home. And that Noah Centineo would do it with her. However, Noah Centineo, the world's most popular boy, has already (laughs) agreed to do some kind of like supermarket volunteer thing with his friends. And he's like, I think I'm just going to do that, which is a big mistake, Noah Centineo. But how could he know who else should happen to be volunteering at the senior home except obviously Jordan Fisher? Obviously. So that, and also sidebar, she's like still really insecure about Noah Centineo's ex because they keep hanging out and he won't tell her why, which is also a big mistake, Noah Centineo. So she's struggling with that and she's hanging out with Jordan Fisher and she's not telling Jordan Fisher that she's dating Noah Centineo and it all gets really awkward because then they're basically like, oh, the treehouse that we used to hang out in in middle school is being torn down. We should go dig up the time capsule that we buried there. And for some inexplicable reason, Lana Condor decides to throw this party without breaking to Jordan Fisher that she is dating Noah Centineo. She does not seem to do well with like thinking about like what could happen in the future just like logicking it out and being like uh maybe i should tell this guy that i'm actually dating noah centineo well teenagers are not known for being great at predicting the consequences of their actions but even for a teenager this seems a bit egregious i was like how could you not foresee that seconds from now these two boys were gonna find out the situation and it was gonna be very awkward indeed Also, obviously, Noah Centineo finds out from this revelation that Lana Condor has been so, so busy flirting with Jordan Fisher, and he's not super happy about it. But they overcome that. And Lana Condor, who basically has just been struggling with, like, really believing that the relationship is real, decides she's going to commit to being Noah Centineo's girlfriend. But then she finds out more about Noah Centineo hanging out with his ex, and she basically discovers that the pivotal scene from the previous movie where he was, like, mysteriously waiting for her in the hot tub was actually because he was planning to hook up with his ex that night. So, obviously, already insecure, she freaks out and they break up, and both of them are super, super sad, and life is over. (laughs) But then she runs into the ex at the treehouse, and she and the ex used to be, like, best friends when they were, like, 11. And the ex explains that her parents are splitting up and that's why she's been leaning on Noah Centineo so much because his parents are also divorced. 
but he really does love Lana Condor and Lana Condor feels like she's been really stupid, but unfortunately she's already ruined their relationship. So she's like, well, I might as well go to this party at the senior center and dance with Jordan Fisher. And then um, they're hanging out and she kisses him and she realizes that what she really wants is to be with Noah Centineo. And so she runs out and conveniently he's also shown up out of the blue to come pick her up so she doesn't have to drive in the snow because he's really a very sweet, albeit dumb, teenage boyfriend. And they get back together. The end. And we could have all told Lana Condor this because why would they have wasted so much space on a first film if you just weren't going to get back together with him? But okay. Exactly. So this film was marketed with a lot of like, are you team Peter or team John? Which happens all the time with this sort of movie. And it's like when you and I went to Bridget Jones's baby and the like preview screen was like, are you team Darcy or team whatever Patrick Dempsey's name was that I have now forgotten? And we both were literally like, is anyone team the new guy after watching two movies of her and Colin Firth? Albeit, like, the second movie was very bad, but still. And you're like, sure, Patrick Dempsey is cute and all, but really? Really? I will say that my wife is hashtag Team John. I mean, he was a really great secondary love interest. He is very charming. I am not immune. I believe that, let's be real, one day in the future, Lara Jean is going to marry a John Ambrose, but for the time being, she is in love with Peter. <laughs> there was this actually Noah Centineo interview that they've done because now they've, they've wrapped production on the third ones, right? So he's done playing Peter. And they asked him, like, are you team Peter or team John? And he said, I'm actually team John. I think that after college, like, Lara Jean will end up with John Ambrose. Or someone like him. Yeah. I think that they have a lot in common. And while Peter is a remarkably good teenage boyfriend for someone who's so naturally different from her socially, in the long run, she'll probably be happier with John Ambrose. But, but, but that is not why I'm watching this film. Exactly. Peter is adorable. It's like, how could we spend two hours becoming so invested in Noah Centineo's face and then just throw him over? Exactly. However, I must say that I feel we missed an opportunity in the past because we used to call Josh baby Rami Malek. And really, maybe we should be calling Noah Centineo baby Mark Ruffalo. Oh my god, you're so right! I mean, he's taller than a baby Mark Ruffalo would be, but like, can't you just see him going on to be in 13 Going on 30? I can, I can. I, I have a gripe about this film. I wasn't as engaged in this movie as I was in the first one. I mean... I think just for reasons kind of out of the film's control, like it's much more engaging to watch a film about two people getting together than it is about two people who are together, who then break up, who then get back together. I enjoyed it. I thought it was really well paced because like an hour in, I was like, oh my God, I'm more than halfway through this film. And I was shocked because I felt like it was kind of just getting started. I guess maybe it was oddly paced, but it wasn't slow is what I mean. Yeah. I thought that they did a good job of adapting it. But indeed, I was a bit like, while I am enjoying myself, I'm not being like pulled along in the same way. I also think they underutilized Holland Taylor. (laughs) Oh my god. I was so excited by the sight of her, but we only saw her like twice. I know. I was like very disappointed because when she was introduced, I was like, oh, major character, because it is sort of like a major side character, I guess, in the book. And then I was like, oh, but she has only been here for a hot second. 
Well, she's just a device to provide the dress because originally the whole thing is that she's John Ambrose's grandmother. And she, she for like several chapters of the second book, she's like, oh, my grandson, you should meet my grandson. And Lana Condor, or Lara Jean in the book rather, is like, I do not want to meet your grandson. And then it turns out to be, you know, the like sixth grade love of her life or whatever. Yes. So that was one of my gripes. My other gripe was that there was not enough Kitty in this film. I love Kitty. She's my favorite. And I could have used a lot more Kitty. I did deeply enjoy the subplot of Kitty trying to get together their dad and the neighbor. I love the whole thing with her dad and Trina. That was delightful. I like the general sentiment behind it. And I liked how supportive, like, Lana Condor was of the situation. And I just, it was nice to see that kind of thing with enthusiasm from his kids instead of like resentment. Yes. And of course, in the book, it gets more complicated. Like um, the sister that's not around to see this unfold is more upset by it when she returns home. But I was really charmed. I thought they did a good job in the movie of making that storyline work in just a couple of scenes. It was so cute. It was so cute. Okay. Now that we've covered some of my smaller gripes, I would like to convey some of the things my wife said while watching this film. Okay. So when John Ambrose first shows up, Alex was like, hmm, he's, he's very cute. He is very cute. She's not wrong. And then during the treehouse scene where everything comes to a head and Lara Jean has been lying basically to Peter and also basically lying to John Ambrose. Alex actually said, Lara Jean is the villain here. She howled this at the screen. She is messing with sweet John Ambrose and adorable Peter. And she kept pausing the film, yelling that Lara Jean deserved none of these boys. This is a person who generally refuses to watch like high school stuff because she's like, no, they're too young. This is stupid. Like, I don't care. I think she cared. I mean, let's be honest. She's not wrong. I'm not saying she doesn't deserve either of these people, but her actions are not amazing. No, but Lara Jean is the villain here. Just seemed a touch strong to me. She is a 16 or 17 year old in her very first relationship and who among us has not done something maybe less than admirable in those times. But truly, I guess we've already covered this. Just it didn't it seemed unwise. I think my surprise comes from, you know, like you would think like and they go on such like a nice first date and everything at the, at the beginning of the film um, is that she would be so caught up in her feelings for Peter that I'm surprised that her head was so turned. I mean, there is some precedent for it in her character. Like she's so like head in the clouds when we meet her at the beginning of the first movie. Right. And it is different like being in this actual relationship versus like the imaginary relationship she didn't really have to emotionally commit to. But what kind of made me laugh was in the first movie, there's a part where Peter is like, so like who did you like the most and obviously he expects it to be him because he is so wonderfully self-absorbed yes <laughs> and she basically reveals in this movie that it was john ambrose and so i sort of understand the pull of that if prior to this time you've never had a real relationship and have always been just in your head fantasizing about them right but honestly 
I think the one that was most intense was probably Josh, who vanishes completely from this movie. Thank God, but also hilarious. R.I.P. Baby Rami Malek. Oh my God, that's so funny because until this moment, I had not considered Josh's absence. Ostensibly, he's still living next door. He's basically vanished entirely. And we were just like, oh, poor baby Rami Malek. He's just next door doing nothing alone. But my thing was that she didn't write all of the letters at the same time. And Josh was like the most long term and most recent one. So TBH, that was probably the most intense, but it's fine. Her letter to John Ambrose was very advanced, I felt, for an 11-year-old, but sure. Sure. I mean, you don't know. But in my experience, teenagers are incredibly crap at writing about specifics. Yes. No, you're not wrong. Um, I felt that Peter and Lara Jean's breakup was done very well. It was very sad when Peter was taking back his necklace. Like, it was obviously clear that neither of them wanted to. And it was just like this thing where it was like, oh, you, oh, okay, I guess I will. And then I was like, no, the lighting is so sad. Guys. Oh my God. I literally wrote down like when they get in that. So basically like Peter's kind of like, you never dress up for my games. I mean, you don't have to, but like you never dress up for my games. And so she dresses up to go to one of his lacrosse games. And then stupid Chris reveals, her friend reveals that she saw him talking to his ex or hugging her or something like that. And she flips out. This is when Alex said, the only person I can trust is John Ambrose. And she flips out and they get in the fight. And I literally wrote down like, oh no, this is chilling. I forgot about the hot tub reveal. Like that really is not great. Like we rewatched the first movie before the second movie. And so I was like, why is he waiting in the hot tub? And I had fully forgotten it's because he was gonna hook up with Jen because they were like in a fight. I mean, he was within his rights, but obviously he should have then told Lara Jane because Jen basically filmed an underage sex tape. Oh, also, like they really pile it on in that fight because she also discovers that she's known all along, obviously, that the ex was the one who did this. And Peter is like, no, well, we don't know that it was her. And then it comes out also in this fight that he did know that it was her, but didn't tell Lara Jean. So there's a lot of Peter like trying to avoid conflict by not telling Lara Jean things and then it blowing up in his face. Yeah, I mean, he's a dumb teenage boy, so sure. No, totally. Both of them do some not telling of each other things that they should be telling each other. But yeah, they're 16. But I was surprised by how emotional I felt about that breakup, even knowing that they were going to get together 20 minutes later. It was nicely done. I was going to say I also loved that teenage heartbreak montage where like the hallway says like heartbreak and the like 50 millionth song in this movie plays and she's just like drowning in her feelings and you're like, that's so being 17. Yes. Um, I enjoyed the dance at the end. She looked very pretty. I was like, it's nice that none of these old people are racist. That's lovely. These old people were also very spry. (laughs) Do any of these people need to be in a senior home? I feel like they were all (laughs) able-bodied. Um, when Lara Jean, though, when she leaves John Ambrose, Alex was like, it's fine. She doesn't deserve that snack. Um, I also had the question, after Lara Jean bails on this volunteer event, is John just going to have to clean up by himself? Yes, yeah, She's like, working. Seems like he is. Like, originally she was all like, I can't possibly take this dress, Holland Taylor. I'm working this dance. 
Yes, and then suddenly it was like she was like, I'm at the ball. I'm Cinderella. Music will swell while I dance with my many bows. And then I'll just bail. I was so, I was so charmed when Peter showed up. Yes, I did not see that coming. Well done, writers of this film. It was so cute because it's such a throwaway thing that she says at the beginning of the movie, like, oh, I'm good at driving now. I mean, except when it snows. And then he shows up at the end. Even though they broke up. Ugh, he's perfect. Oh, speaking of the I'm a good driver now, at the beginning of the movie, they go on their first real date and she's like, I am good at driving now. And I'm like, how much time has passed since the end of the first movie? Like a week? How has she gotten good at driving now? She went to driving boot camp. I don't know. Also, the wall of her bedroom has changed color. So she's clearly had a very busy Christmas break. Has it? Yes. It was teal before and now it is like a different blue. Oh, no, maybe they, like, couldn't find the right paint color to, like, repaint exactly. I, because we watched these back-to-back, I was like, um, but you should know in this day and age that you cannot get away with that because, obviously, many people are going to do what I did, which is rewatch the first movie seconds before the second one. But it's not even like they didn't have quite the right swatch. It's a slightly different color. They are fully different colors, but her, like, flower decals are still there. So I just, uh, I have some questions. I didn't notice because I didn't rewatch the first movie before watching this one. And I was like, oh, I like her bedroom. Like, I've always liked her bedroom. I still like her bedroom, but my very first note was like, her wall is blue now? <laughs> <laughs> also... This girl needs to stop falling down and hitting her head. She's going to get brain damage. Yeah. She has other flaws. It's okay, guys. She doesn't need to be clumsy, this one. (laughs) I was going to say, like, she's got normal character flaws. She doesn't need to also be this, like, two-whatever-footed monster. (laughs) Although it's not... I can't remember, actually. Did she, like, trip or something? Because in the first one, she faints from shock and bangs her head. And I don't remember why she fell down, but I wrote, this girl needs to stop falling down and hitting her head. I don't remember. Um, I had a thought, what else? Was it just me or was there like way more music in this movie than was maybe normal? There was a lot. I always enjoyed the soundtrack. I enjoyed the soundtrack of the first one. So I didn't have a problem with this. I didn't bother me. I was just like, there was like no score at all. I feel like every scene was a new song that I was like, maybe I'll Google the song later. Maybe I'll Google the song later. Oh, something that was kind of interesting and felt real to me was the whole thing where they have basically like a singing Valentine situation where you can hire the school acapella group to, I guess, skip their own classes all day, go around to different people's classes and sing And there's basically a whole thing where people are like, oh, Peter sent one to Jen every period of the day last year. And so Lara Jean is like kind of expecting that. And then she's sort of disappointed when it doesn't happen. And afterward, he's like, oh, I just felt like that wasn't your style. And I was like, that's so tough that like, it's true that while it's not her style, everyone knowing that he used to do that for what's her face. Yes, like it wouldn't have been her top choice, but she still wanted him to do it. Yes, like she wanted everyone to know that he loved her the most, even though she would be mortified by the arrival of the acapella group. Are schools like really stepping up with their like Valentine's Day situation? Because I thought it was like a thing where you just bought flowers. Yes, at our high school, I think it was like you could buy flowers and send them to people like through the student government or something, right? Yes, because it was a um, like a fundraiser for the SGA. I mean, I have no idea because we are also old enough that we graduated high school before the promposal era. Yeah, that's thank God. Oh my God, thank thank God. God. But who knows what kids are up to? 
Um, but speaking of the acapella group, you know what I really enjoyed? That I was like, why did they change who Peter's hot friend was? He used to have a black friend and then suddenly he had a hot Asian friend. And I was like, what is going on? But then it turned out that it was just because they needed someone to be Trevor and they didn't have the foresight to have inserted Trevor in the first movie. But I was deeply charmed by Lara Jean's like disaffected friend having like a secret relationship with Peter's hot Asian friend. I know. I thought that was sweet. That delighted me. Also because he's he doesn't seem that bright. And um, I think Chris is like, you know, we just... <laughs> we know what you do, Chris. <laughs> um, so what are your favorite scenes slash lines? I have to tell you that I just went through my notes and I was like, oh, I wrote down no lines. I was too busy writing down the things my wife said. That's okay. I wrote down so many lines. <laughs> I'm suddenly realizing that maybe I'm underestimating the friend because I don't know if he's actually that dumb because one of the things that I wrote down which isn't really smart, but is at least not totally dumb, is that I like when Peter and Lara Jean have that awkward, like, oh, I thought we were going to volunteer here together. Oh, I thought we were going to volunteer here together. That his friend is like, okay, I'm out. Enjoy your fight. Yeah, that was smart. Good call, dude. I enjoyed when when Kitty is talking about the neighbor and she goes, she cut down her hedges, Lara Jean. That is a metaphor. (laughs) Kitty always has some of the best lines. Although I must say that Matt was like, this bitch never learns about Kitty and the meddling. (laughs) I mean, that's fair. This bitch doesn't. Oh, I liked the Korean New Year situation. I know that we're, you know, favorite lines or whatever, but I think like favorite scenes, like I'm not necessarily sure I I really have one. Like they're all like the usual suspects. I love when Peter showed up at the end, but I, we haven't talked about the Korean New Year scene. And I just thought that was so nice because I've never seen something like that. Um, just like the acknowledgement of like doing this traditional thing, carrying on this traditional practice, you know, and really celebrating that. And I thought that was very cool. And I also enjoyed her very cool, disaffected uh, cousin. Yes. This is fleshed out more in the book, as is all the stuff with their family in the first book as well, compared to the first movie. But like, I really love that their dad, who's white, is so committed to sort of maintaining the Korean half of their heritage, which obviously came from their mom, and that they visit her family and that he forces them, either he or their sister Margot, I think, forces them to wear the traditional dress, even though their like full Korean cousin does not have to. Yeah, and I I think that's actually very true for a lot of uh, families who are sort of mixing like cultures and things like that. You know, you do a lot for whatever parent or things, or at least I know that from a lot of kids I've known growing up, right? Yes, I think you feel a lot of pressure to maintain that heritage. Yeah, and I just never see it really on screen, especially not with like Asian kids or like, you know, half Asian kids, so... It was nice. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the combination of that with like normal teenage nonsense of her disaffected cousin being like, oh, that's cool, I guess. Your boyfriend's hot. (laughs) Although, why in God's name would you do Thanksgiving too? Bizarre. You know what I did like, though, also about that Korean thing that didn't come up is that in the book, there's a whole thing where they are taking turns like bowing to their relatives and getting money. And they're sad that their dad has to sit alone while the other adults sit in couples. And there was no way to put that in here, but I missed it a little bit. Oh, yeah. But anyway, I know the Thanksgiving thing is dumb, but I do love my maybe favorite scene is when they run into their neighbor Trina in the supermarket. (laughs) (laughs) 
And Lana Condor is like, I just need to tell you that Valentine you received was not from my dad. It was from my sister. And the neighbor goes, you mean the Valentine addressed to Mrs. Rothschild in glitter glue was not from an adult man? (laughs) And also that her dad is so distracted and forgets to pick up vegetables. And it's charming. I'm charmed. It's a very good scene. Um, what else? Oh, I liked that her gay friend was still there giving her advice. And Noah Centineo opens his locker and like 8,000 Valentines fall out. And Lana Condor is like, I am not so wild about this. And her friend basically is like, heavy is the head that wears the crown. And I was like, oh my god, are there no other boys at this high school? Like, his friends seem attractive enough. Yeah, I guess Peter is also really nice, but his friends also seem nice. Like, they seem fine. His first friend from the first movie seems reasonably attractive. His second friend is reasonably attractive. John Ambrose does a whole thing of being like, oh yeah, like girls were like, are you team Peter or team John? But they only said that because they actually liked Peter, but they wanted to be like perceived a different way. So they were like, I'm for John or whatever. But everyone was really just about Peter. And I was like, truly, where were all the other boys? It's bizarre. I would love to have gone to this high school where all the hot, popular teen boys were also pure and soft. (laughs) I know. Oh my God. That conversation that they have in the... So like Peter is obviously very social and Laura Jean is less social. Prior to her relationship with Peter, she had one friend and her neighbor and her sisters. And they're like at a party together and he is surprisingly sensitive being like, do you want to leave? And then they're like in the car together and they have this very nice teen conversation about sex where he's kind of like, no, I was not trying to pressure you. And like, obviously I would like to, you know, at some point, but it's a big decision. And like, and I was like, this is very well done, I guess. Yeah. Oh my gosh. When he texted Lara Jean to be like, hey, do you want to leave? I was like, swoon. I wish everyone would text me at parties saying, hey, do you want to leave? I was like, this is a spectacular teenage boyfriend. (laughs) Popular teenage boyfriend, I guess. Way to go, Peter. You've just won me over. Um, trying to think if there's anything else that I wrote down. Although it sounds like maybe the best line was actually, do you want to get out of here? Yes, I think that was. (laughs) Um, I liked when John Ambrose said future generations are going to have their hands full with deforestation, urban overcrowding. We'll probably be living underwater by then. But I don't remember the context. I like that too. I remember that. And I also thought it was fair that Lara Jean was like, oh, there wasn't any time to tell John Ambrose. And Peter was like, there's usually not when you're flirting. (laughs) You're like, you know, sir, you're not wrong. (laughs) You're not wrong that that is what she has been doing at the funeral. (laughs) Oh, another John Ambrose thing I loved was him being like, I did want to ask you to the sixth grade school dance, but I was trying to set up some sticks to ask you out, but then I chickened out and then your dad came home and he thought I was cleaning up lawns and he gave me 10 bucks and I left. (laughs) (laughs) So awkward. That feels very true, except for the idea that an 11 year old boy would even think to do such a thing. Yeah. Did his mom like drive him over? Like I don't understand. (laughs) I was like, I just don't know any 11-year-old boys who have this level of romantic, like, whatever. This is the fantasy of an 11-year-old girl that will never manifest. 
Yeah. It also confused me a little bit because the treehouse implied that they all lived in the same neighborhood, which was not the impression that I've gotten from Peter. I always thought he lived kind of far away, but I guess this is like a minute thing that like, whatever. I was like, oh, I like how it so happens that like the... I don't know, six characters, seven characters we like know about all happen to have all been really good friends in seventh grade. Yes. Well, it kind of makes sense because we already know that she was really good friends with Jen. And Chris is Jen's cousin. And we know that Jen was into Peter. I mean, John Ambrose moved far away. I think Peter might have maybe moved houses. Oh, because of the divorce. Yeah, I can't remember, but I feel like in the book they probably explain this, but you're definitely right that in the end of the first movie, she needs a ride or to be like dropped off at Peter's house. Um, I want to say also about the treehouse thing. So the treehouse thing is they have this time capsule and then when they break it open, everyone's taking out their like sixth grade treasures. And I can't remember if this is true in the book, but in the movie, at least Lara Jean and Jen had put in friendship bracelets. So that scene is at the end with the two girls is also about them reconciling-ish, which I sort of like, except that Jen is so much less complex in the movies than in the books. I found her... She is sympathetic in the sense, but it's also like, look, the fact that your parents are getting a divorce does not excuse the fact that you slut-shamed this other girl and then posted the video about it online. Also, you're like still constantly menacing her. Yes. Even though you're like, no, I'm just like using him to like help me through this. You're like, you know what you're doing. I honestly found the turn where she is being sympathetic suddenly Like, is her treehouse thing just motivated by feeling bad for Peter? It just seems kind of out of character with her behavior so far. Who knows? Like, I don't know that I'd trust her now. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't trust this girl. (laughs) But I didn't read the third book, so I don't know. Oh, one thing about the treehouse thing. My favorite is when Chris pulls out $20 and she's like, I'm a genius. He is a genius. I know. I was like, Chris is incredible. And then, oh, you know what? I take back everything I said. Her paramour is not dumb because I think he's the one who points out like with inflation, this money's actually losing value. You know what? She's still a genius. It's 20 bucks. I'm excited. Yeah. Buy yourself something nice, Chris. Anyway. So worst scene? Worst line? Gosh, I don't know if I have worse. I thought it was well made. I obviously the emotionally worst is when they break up. I don't really have a worse scene. I thought maybe the worst scene was when Peter delivers that poem to her and she's like, OMG. And I'm like, even on its own, this Edgar Allan Poe poem is bad. Oh, I love when he gives her the necklace because in the book, there's all that backstory that she's been like looking at it in the window for like years. Oh. But alas, we don't know that in the movie. Um, trying to think what else was bad. Oh, speaking of the difficult to believe treehouse reconciliation, literally in the first treehouse scene when they're having like the treehouse party, Peter pulls out his baseball. Jen's like, remember? And after you like hit that home run, you made out with me in front of your mom. (laughs) I paraphrase, but barely. And Lana Condor's like, let's move on to the next person, shall we? And this is what we talk about when she's, when we talk about Jen being menacing. Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad Jen is, like, having a change of heart, I guess. And then we'll see how long that lasts. Um, I guess we probably don't really have to do a POC count. No, it was really lots and lots of people. And uh, what would you rate this film? Gosh, I don't know. I forgot to write down a rating. Oh, do you always write down a rating? I always rate on the spot. Really? Yes. I always write down a rating and then, like, a couple of things. But today I will have to play it like you. Um, 
I would say like an eight. Yeah, I was going to say seven or eight is probably my gut. Eight out of ten glitter glue valentines. Eight out of ten bizarre fake Thanksgivings. Eight out of ten sad aquarium breakups. Eight out of ten treehouse revelations. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. I look forward to viewing the third one. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us today, listeners. Uh, you can follow Romcomathon on our various social media uh, listed in the credits. And we hope you have a good week. Bye. Bye. Thank you to Hannah Oatman, who composed our theme music, and Alexandra Oatman, who painted our logo art. You can follow Alexandra on Twitter at at Alexandra. Special thanks to Quincy Surasmith for advising us on the art of the podcast. Subscribe to his wonderful podcast, Asian Americana, at wherever you get your podcasts. Want more Romcomathon? You can read past reviews at romcomathon2016.tumblr.com and follow us at romcomathon2016 on Facebook and Twitter and romcomathon on Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you. Please subscribe and rate Romcomathon on iTunes. Thank you.